This is recording number 11077 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, November 17, 2013. This is the first message in a series titled, The Characters of Christmas. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Elizabeth. Life in Barren Places. This is probably the earliest in my 30 years of being a pastor that I've begun a series of Christmas messages because I always wait till after Thanksgiving. I'm just one of those old school guys that just can't get over the fact that we're celebrating Christmas already before we've even gotten through Thanksgiving. But I've got a bunch of things that, I, that the Lord had put on my heart for this season uh, to... to uh, explore with you today, or this, uh, this year, and um, uh, I just needed the extra time. So, is that okay with you if we start? Okay, good. These guys, they said it was okay. How about the rest of you guys? Is that all right? Okay, good. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, I could, I could just go over here and preach to you guys, because you're so good. <laughs> we want to take a look over the next few weeks at some of the stories about individuals wrapped up in the, in the story of the birth of Christ. And, um, and because the, they, of what they teach us about the Lord, about his intentions, and how we can identify them, or identify with these characters, and the things that God clearly show, showed in how he dealt with them about what he, how he wants to deal with us. And we're going to begin today with the story of Elizabeth and her husband, Zacharias. Now, you might ask, well, why start with Elizabeth? Doesn't the Christmas story begin with Mary? And the answer is no. If you open the book of Luke, chapter 1, you're going to find before we get to Mary and Joseph and all their shepherds and wise men and all that stuff, we encounter Elizabeth. Right out the gate. Now, a few weeks ago, Sue and I were in Taiwan in Asia where we go twice a year. And we always, we never, we've made almost 20 trips over there. Never been out of the city of Taipei. 20 trips to Asia, never been out of one city. So when we go there, because we just don't have a lot of time when we're there to do other things. But when we're there, we try to do at least one thing different, you know. And so this year when we were there, the one thing different that we did is we went to a movie. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I know, not, not all that different. But anyway... And uh, it, was, it was a little different experience. Uh, you know, it was an English movie with Chinese subtitles, so it was, it was easy. Um, but I was reminded again that when, you know, a, a, a good director or this would be true of a good musician or author, when they begin their work, they, they, they try to capture your imagination, capture your attention. The first... Um, you know, a few minutes of a, of a film or a good television show is going to be designed to draw you in, to engage you with the story, right? When Luke is writing his gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I believe the Holy Spirit was doing that, engaging our attention, getting us involved in the story. And he used the story of Elizabeth and Zacharias to do that. And... 
there's a point to it. And uh, I think you're going to see that as we move along here today. And we're going to be re- begin reading at verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. Now, the priesthood was divided up into these divisions, and they served on a schedule. So, if you were a priest, you, you didn't serve continually, you served on a schedule, kind of like uh, our military reserves here in the United States, how they get called up and called into active duty at certain times, right? And so the priesthood was like that. And Zacharias, was, we're told, was a part of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. That piece of information is given to us so that we know that the, both of these people are of deep spiritual pedigree. Now, verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Wow. Wouldn't you want that to be said of you? Wouldn't you want your name inserted there? Chris? No, it ain't going to work. Let's try somebody else. I mean, but wouldn't you like that? I mean, listen. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But, dang those butts. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. We have this kind of odd notion, and it's actually fairly serious, that when God blesses us or responds to prayer, that he's rewarding us. That we've done enough good to outdo our bad and so God is rewarding us. We have this idea that he's sort of like Santa Claus, you know. And he's got a list of our good and our bad things. And, you know, if the good outweighs the bad, then you get a better present. God is not like that. How many of you here today would raise your hand and say, I have been blessed by God? That blessing that your hand is raised to signify was not because you deserved it. Not in any way. Can I just say the only thing I deserve from God is eternal punishment. I deserve hell. And no matter how hard I work, no matter how many uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes I send off, no matter how much money I put in the offering plate this morning, no matter what, I will never deserve anything from God. I am a sinner. And the only reason I'm here today able to call God my Father is because of His gift of grace. Period. So when God blesses us, it's not a reward. It is Him doing what He does, restoring and recovering and redeeming. He's he's pulling back the effects of our sin that have been unleashed on this world and on our lives. You, You realize we're part of a race that rebelled against God. And that sin 
unleashed horrors upon this world, upon our lives. Disease comes from that. Hatred comes from that. Um, I was talking to one of the couples before the service this morning whose home was burglarized this week. That comes as a result of sin. This stuff that's unleashed in this world, God in the cross of Jesus Christ declared an end to it. And he has begun to dismantle the corruption of sin and so that he can bring restoration of his intended purposes, first for our lives, but ultimately for the planet. But it's all because of his grace and his love. We all stand on equal ground there. We are the beneficiaries of a lavish love. So, when it says here that these people who were blameless, righteous before God, but did not have a child, it wasn't because of punishment, nor was it because they didn't, hadn't earned enough points with God to gain a reward. It's not about that. I don't know why they hadn't, this, this desire of their heart had not been realized to this point. I can't say. I know this. I know that God answers prayer. And I know this is an oversimplification. Nonetheless true. That God answers prayer in three ways. Yes, no, and wait. Can I tell you, I'm really glad that the Lord said no to me when in the eighth grade I prayed that I could marry my eighth grade sweetheart? <laughs> Because it was two years later that I met this blonde-haired, blue-eyed wormling. <laughs> and three years after that, we've got, we got married and it's been a long run. This is our 40th wedding anniversary, May 25th. <laughs> and we expect to go another 40. I'm so glad the Lord said no. And when I was a young, newly-minted pastor and I had my ordination card in my wallet... And I was praying, God, send me to the world. Give me the crowds. Give me those, uh, you know, people of influence that I can influence because you know how spiritual I am. I'm so glad the Lord said, well, we're going to wait on that. <laughs> really? Can you imagine how much damage I would have done? I mean, God had to work out and, get and un dismantle all that selfishness and pride and immaturity and you know in this stage of my life as the Lord is opening up those venues expansive venues of ministry I don't care I just want to serve him wherever he sends me it, it doesn't it isn't about anything involving me I am so grateful that God said wait I think it goes without saying, I'm also really glad in those times when the Lord just says yes, and boom, there it is, and it's like, hallelujah. I can't say, I don't know what the issue was here, but I know it didn't have anything to do with reward. It had to do with a God who was always in motion, always at work, dismantling piece by piece the way the enemy and... Because the Bible says that the devil does three things. Kill, destroy, and what's the other one? Steal. Rob, steal. And he, God is, is, is tearing that apart and reestablishing all of his intentions for us. He is redeeming us and redeeming this world. And timing is 
is up to him. So it was, verse 8 says, that while he was serving as priest before God in order of his division, so his division's gotten called up, and he's now serving at the temple. According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Literally, he's hit the lottery. That's what it says. And the reason why is because if you were a priest, okay, so let's, let's have a little lesson here. So the temple is, is carved up into three sections. The inner part of it is called the most holy place or the holy of holies. Just outside of that was a section called the holy place. I know, a little confusing. Most holy, holy place. Holy of holies, holy place. Then there's the outer courtyard. In the holy of holies, the High priest is the only one he could go in there, and he could only go in there once a year, and that's another story we won't get into. The holy place had three pieces of furniture in it, the table of showbread, uh, the candle stand, and the, and the altar of incense. Twice a day, fresh incense was alter, offered on the altar of incense. It was a high privilege to be the priest to go in and put that incense on there. In fact, unexpected that in your lifetime as a priest, you would have that opportunity. So Zacharias has literally hit the lottery. He's on the big stage. I said this happens twice a day. And when the fresh incense was put on the altar, that's when people would come to the temple because the rising of that aroma and the smoke from, the, from that altar symbolized the prayers of the people. So they would gather by the throngs in the outer courtyard of the temple to pray at that time. And so Zacharias is on the big stage. He's way over his pay grade here. He has literally hit the lottery. Verse 10, And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And by the way, isn't it interesting how Luke, you know, he's this doctor, a very methodical, step-by-step, disciplined mind kind of guy, and he got all of his information from, from intense uh, study, collecting all the eyewitness accounts. He even tells us what side of the altar the angel shows up on. This is not what you're doing if you're making stuff up. This is what you're writing if you're trying to be accurate with eyewitness accounts. So the angel, this angel appears. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. And it would you too. Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, too late, you know. He's unnerved by this. There's an angelic being there. And this angel says to him, don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. What prayer? There's been no, nothing here about anybody's prayer. But the angel of God, an archangel nonetheless, shows up at this moment in time, a miraculous appearance of an angel from heaven to say, Zacharias, your prayer has been heard. Now, Zacharias as a priest has probably offered thousands of prayers. There are people right outside in the, in the temple uh, courtyard at that very moment praying away. What prayer are we talking about here? It's going to be clear in just a moment what prayer that is. 
Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. The angel had come to say your prayer, that one that you prayed long ago that you have forgotten about. It's going to be clear in just a minute that Elizabeth and and Zacharias have, have given up on this prayer. But the tense of the verb, your prayer has been heard. The tense of the Greek verb that's been translated there for us, heard, gives this impression. It's, it's like when you first spoke it, it was heard. Now, there may have been some time that lapses before the fulfillment of the, what, that which you've requested, but it was heard when you first spoke it. But somewhere along the line in there, you know, not seeing an answer to their prayer, they gave up. Look at verse 18. And Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? He's saying, how can, how can I understand this? How can I comprehend this? How can I get my arms around this? We're old. How can I know this? For I'm an old man. My wife is well advanced in years. How, how in the world am I supposed to even deal with what you're saying to me? Now, that's not what you say if, you're, if it's about a current prayer. Okay, so you're, so you're uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, and every day you're praying, Oh, God, give us a child. Oh, God, give us a child. Oh, God, give us a child. And the angel shows up and says, Your prayer has been heard. What are you going to say? You're going to say, Thank you. Right? Or you're going to say, It's about time. You're not going to say, Huh? How am I supposed to handle this? What, is, what are you saying to me? The reason he responds the way he does is because somewhere along the line, they gave up on it. Have you ever given up on a prayer? Saw no answer to it? Seemed like heaven was just closed to you? Can I tell you that we have a God hears and answers and savors and records and responds to every prayer. Everyone. In fact, the Bible says he knows what we need before we ask it. Before you got the words past your lips, before the idea even formed in your mind, God knew he was hearing your prayer before you even prayed it. The angel answered and said to him, you know, his question is, well, how am I supposed to understand this? Man, this is just blowing all my circuits. I'm an old man. My wife's an old lady, pardon me, but how's this going to happen? The angel answered and said to him, well, I'm Gabriel. In case you hadn't noticed, I'm an angel and I'm an archangel. There's two of us, me and Michael, and that's it. I'm here to tell you that's how you're supposed to understand this. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and get this and bring you these glad tidings. That that literally means I've come to bring you this good news. Let me stay with this for a minute. There's actually one word that's translated by this good news or these glad tidings. 
or translated into that. And that Greek word, Luke, who wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, will use 25 times in the course of his two books, Luke and the Acts of the Apostle. 25 times he'll use that word. Every single time, except for this one, it's speaking directly about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's almost always translated, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. This first time, first time, it's used about an answer to prayer. I've come to preach the gospel to you. I'm Gabriel. I've come to preach the gospel to you that your prayer has been heard. It seems so weird, doesn't it? It's kind of odd. I think it's purposeful. I think Luke, by the Holy Spirit, was setting up our understanding for every time that word happens, every, you know, in the 25 times it's used after that, 24 times. That we're supposed to understand the gospel in terms of God answering a prayer. The good news of Jesus Christ, that he came to save me from my sin, is really all about God answering the deepest longings of our hearts. The thing we didn't even know how to articulate. Even when you didn't know God, when you didn't care anything about him, when you used his name as a curse word and that's all it was, that's all he was to you, even then, there was something deep, deep, deep in your soul crying out to him for saving, for rescue, for redemption. The gospel, the good news that you encountered or maybe, for to, maybe are encountering for the first time here today, it's all about God answering that longing of your heart, that deep, deep cry. Verse 23, so it was as soon as the days of his service were completed... So he's wrapped up his season of service. That he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. Wow. And she hid herself five months. Now, I don't really know what that's about, except I know that my wife, every time she was pregnant, she'd always, I'd always be under orders not to tell a soul she said, I'll, I'll tell probably before I start showing, but, you know, I, I, I don't want anybody to know just yet. Probably that's because every time they see you, when are you due again? You're right? I ask that every time I see a pregnant lady. Excuse me. I do this. I just pardon me. I just, when are you due again? How soon will it be? You know, all that. So that's probably part of it. But in her case, I imagine it was, can I even believe this is true? Am I going to be able to bring this child to term? You know, is this a cruel joke? Is this the real thing? I'm sure that was part of it. But verse 25, she says this. Thus the Lord has dealt with me. In other words, after this manner, in this way, this is how God deals with me. In the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. That's how God deals with us. To look on us. To see our need. To see those barren places on our lives. The things that you know, you've even given up praying about. 
he sees, he hears, and this is how God deals with us. To take away my reproach, to remove the reproach of sin, to invade those barren places in your, in your soul, in your life, with life. You know, it's far more than, than these things, and yet th- these would not be, um, these kinds of things would not be unknown to God or unconcerned uh, for by God. But some of you have felt as though your career is a barren place. There's just no fruit from it. Every day you just, you know, try to get through it. Try to keep your boss off your back. Make sure you don't get fired. That kind of thing. It may be that there is a person in your family that, you know, there's some sort of, I have a brother. I'll just, you know, he's not going to hear this, so I'll just tell you. <laughs> I have a brother I, I frequently quit praying for. I just give up. It's a barren place in my soul. I... I and the Lord will bring me around again and, and, and then I'll spend a season in praying for him. But, you know, I, I really, I haven't seen, it's barren. I haven't seen fruit from that yet. It's a barren place in my soul. It may be that your, your financial life is a barren place. It just seems like no matter what you do, it's as though the money just keeps falling out a hole in your pocket and... It's fruitless, barren. I don't, you know, it, the list could go on. But Elizabeth says to, to us, this is how the Lord deals with me. Now this is after a long season of barrenness, a long season of f- forgotten prayer, given up on praying. And, and, but did she says, you know what? This is how God deals with me. When he looked on me, to take away my reproach from among people. The gospel, dear ones, is God responding to those longings of our souls. The gospel of Jesus Christ is all about that and begins right here with the story of Elizabeth. 